Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show, we'll be discussing how good eating and lifestyle habits will help slow the aging process of the brain with Dr. Joanna McMillan. Joanna is a PhD qualified nutrition scientist and accredited practicing dietitian, as well as appearing regularly on television across a variety of networks. Dr. Joanna McMillan, welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Joanna, we know that a normal part of getting older includes changes to the brain, which may cause it to function less optimally, resulting in us forgetting where we've put things, forgetting someone's name, or having difficulty in learning new things. However, this seems to affect some people more than others. Can you explain why this is? Well, look, I guess a good analogy is to think about the skin because that's something that's very visible to us and that we can see the signs of aging on our skin. So when you look at your skin, you can see that some people age better than others. Their skin looks better than others at a certain age. And then we start to query, you know, why is that? And so when we look at the skin, we think about, well, you know, the skin becomes less efficient at producing collagen. The skin loses its elasticity. We start to see some wrinkles and lines. And, you know, these are the signs of our age. And with there's a very, very clear um, association between our diet and our lifestyle. Smoking, for example, dramatically ages your skin. So that's a very visible sign. And what's going on internally within our bodies is less visible, but it's the same sort of changes that are going on. So within the brain, we know that there's things that start to go wrong. The communication between the brain cells is not so good. Um, you know, memory can start to be affected. And what's amazing about the most recent research, because I think we've always thought the brain is a bit of an elusive thing, you know, that we don't have any control over it that somehow it's just, I think, because it's part and parcel of making us who we are, what we think, what we feel and so on. It's it's really a part and parcel of us that we haven't really grasped the idea that we have some control over the way that our brain is functioning. And just in the same way that diet and lifestyle affects the aging of our skin and other cells throughout the body, it actually affects how well our brain ages and how well our brain actually copes with some of those things that start to go wrong. So there's something called cognitive reserve, and that is your brain's ability to think, you know, if a message can't get directly from A to B in the way that it's always done, it finds another route. And that's what cognitive reserve is. So we also know that even if we sort of can look at two brains and see that there's the same sort of aging damage in each brain, if one brain has better cognitive reserve, then it continues to work better as we get older. So that's really what the essence of my book is all about. It's looking at what is the evidence and what are the dietary and the lifestyle factors that can really make a difference to us to help us to have a brain that A, performs well today. So if you need to be sparky for a meeting or, you know, be able to be creative at work and to have the energy to go and play with your kids after work and so on, as well as improving brain health as we age so that we can reduce our risk of cognitive decline and other brain disorders that happen more commonly as we get older. So talking about the risk there, can you give us an overview of what the key risk factors are which have found to increase the probability of cognitive decline and mm. dementia, for instance? Well, I mentioned smoking before, and that's a very key one. So if you're still smoking, then, you know, that's so last decade, you know, get, get rid of the smoking. There's no doubt that that has an impact. Too much alcohol, of course, does also have an impact. But then we've got things like, you know, a history of depression. We know increases your risk of cognitive decline as you get older, a poor diet, lack of exercise. So when we look at those, but also, you know, stress, you know, 
your ability to have resilience against stress, and even prolonged sleep problems will affect your brain function. So these are all kind of risk factors, and you can see immediately that there's lots of those things that we can do something about. We've got some control over. And what's nice about the kind of research, although there's particular things that we can pick out that are good for the brain, generally speaking, what's good for heart health is also what's good for brain health. So we're really talking here about overall body health, and it's all about helping your body to, to really age well. And I think that's the positive message of this. This is something that we can do something about. Some of us are just going to get that bad card, I'm afraid. So we can't completely eliminate cognitive decline and, you know, awful brain diseases like Alzheimer's or, or Parkinson's. But we can certainly reduce our risk. We can do everything that we can to get some of those risk factors under control. So let's expand on the diet and how we can eat to increase mm. our brain health, starting with carbohydrates. People tend to be scared of them these days. Can you give us an overview of what these are, mm. why they are important to brain health and dispel any myths? Well, I think a really important message to get across is we do have this, you know, fear of carbs. I call it carbophobia. Um, and really what I see us doing is we're making exactly the same mistakes with this nutrient as we did with fat a few decades ago. So, you know, we feared fat, we blamed it for everything and we tried to eliminate it from our diet. We forgot about what we were replacing the fat with. We replaced it with a whole load of junk, refined carbohydrates. And of course, lo and behold, find ourselves in, in just as unhealthy, if not an unhealthier position. And we're doing the same thing with carbs right now. You know, we're judging foods based on what is called a macronutrients. The macronutrients are just the nutrients in foods that give us some kilojoules. So it's essentially fat, carbohydrate and protein. Now, you know, why are we suddenly moving to blame carbohydrates for everything? You know, these are just things that are naturally present in plant foods. And overall, we know that plant-rich diets are incredibly good for brain health, for reducing your risk of, of even things things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, um, and overall helping us to control our body weight and to, and to be as healthy as possible. So why is it that a nutrient that is present in so many plant foods, why would that suddenly be bad for us? So the important thing is actually not to judge a food by its carbohydrate content, it's to judge a food by its total nutrition. So if I just give you two examples, you know, if I take a donut, that's a very high carbohydrate food, and I take a slice of really lovely whole grain sourdough bread made in a very traditional, it's a fermented food. These foods both are high in carbohydrates, but you can see immediately that nutritionally they're totally different and clearly their effect on our health is going to be very, very different. So when we look specifically at the brain, the primary fuel for the brain is actually glucose and that's a carbohydrate. You know, that's glucose that runs in our blood and, and, and in fact, at rest, the majority, something like 60% of the glucose in your blood is actually fueling your brain. As you start to exercise and move around more than that, you know, more of the glucose is having to fuel muscular work. So to me, it's a really bit silly to talk about carbs are evil or carbs are toxic or bad for us when actually glucose and fat are the two main fuels in the body. And we're always using some glucose. We have to keep our blood glucose levels within a certain band. If they fall too low, that's when you would fall into a coma you'd, you'd, and eventually you'd die. So we have to understand what is the impact of the food that we're eating and the carbohydrates in those foods that we're eating. How quickly are they absorbed up into the bloodstream? And what we know is certainly bad for brain health is to have huge spikes in our blood glucose levels. So we don't want to have our blood glucose levels spiking way, way high. It's normal for it to come up a bit after meals and then your body hormones, insulin primarily, is its job is to get glucose out of the blood and up into cells around the body where it can be used as fuel or stored for, for later. And that's the job 
of insulin. So a small rise and, and gentle, we want gentle rises and falls is normal with eating. And that's what you'll get if you eat whole foods. So things like whole grains and legumes, fruits and, and veggies in their whole form. That's the sort of pattern you'll see with your, your blood glucose levels. If we eat highly refined foods like that donut, for example, then we start to see these massive spikes in blood glucose because we get a lot of carbohydrate in a very easy to digest and absorb form. And that's certainly not good for the brain. So in the book, I really talk about smart carbs, you know, getting the right sort of carbohydrates. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I know that there's been a lot of um, press, particularly about grains and are grains bad for the brain. And that and the essence behind that is that these spikes in blood glucose are not good for our brain. But in fact, when we look at the, the epidemiological evidence, people who eat the least amount of whole grains, so these are the good quality whole food sources of carbohydrate, you know, the people with the lowest intake of whole grains have an increased risk of cognitive decline. And it's the people who are eating whole grains who actually have the most protection. And we wouldn't see that pattern if grains were truly bad for the for the brain. So the message on carbs is think think about the food, think about the food in its entirety. Don't judge a food based on its carb content or its fat content for that matter. You need to look at what is, is the food um, giving me. And in fact, that's the way that nutrition recommendations are very much moving towards around the world. We've just seen the Canadian uh, nutrition guidelines change very much to a food-based model instead of talking about nutrients. And I think that's a really positive move because at the end of the day, it's dietary patterns that really count rather than the sort of individual nutrients or, or individual foods. I'll come back to um, the dietary patterns in a minute, but what are your top whole grains to include mm. in a diet? Well, things like, you know, I'm a Scot, so so I'm going to give some uh, give some shout out for oats. <laughs> um, you know, oats in their whole form again, so either as steel cut oats or as steamed rolled oats are very popular here in Australia. You know, they come out shining time and time again. You know, they actually contain some good fats too. You know, so I think people forget that grains provide not just some carbohydrate, but they also provide protein and oats are, are a pretty good source of protein. In fact, compared to other grains, grains and they provide some healthy fats. So oats are fantastic and it might well be the, the fiber types that are present. Uh, the soluble fiber in oats helps us to control uh, our blood cholesterol levels, for example. And oats contain lots of what we call fermentable fibers. And these are the fibers that the microbiome or the bugs living in your gut, the primarily bacteria, that they use as their fuel. And we know that there's l this link between what's going on with the microbiome and gut health and the brain. It's called the gut-brain access. And so we know that if if we've got a healthy, diverse microbiome, that's helping improve brain health. So oats are definitely up there. But what about barley? And we've got quinoa. We've got some of those new sort of pseudo grains becoming popular, um, like quinoa and teff from Ethiopia, uh, amaranth these, and buckwheat. These are, are, are all really good grains. And then nothing's wrong with wheat, but I do encourage people to have a diversity. I think we have an overabundance of wheat. We rely too much on wheat products instead of diversifying the grains that we have. So I love that we've now got access to ancient grain varieties like spelt and kamut, as well as, you know, mixing wheat with rye and barley and all these other grains. So the key message there is to really look for whole grains and look for diversity. You know, diversity of diet gives you a diversity of a microbiome and you're most likely to get all of the nutrients and the different fibre types that you need. We know that fibre is important for general health, but can you explain more specifically how different sorts of fibre impact our mm. brain health? Yeah, so, we, you know, for a long time we've talked about fibre as if it's one thing. And it's worth remembering well, first of all, that fibre is carbohydrate. Um, and so it's just carbohydrate that our enzymes can't break down. And so that fibre passes through the small intestine that enters the colon. And there, fibres are either fermented by the resident 
gut bugs, so that's primarily these little bacteria that we call, collectively we call them the, the microbiome, or some of those fibres pass straight through us and they're kind of like that proverbial broom, helping sweep things through the gut and helping to keep us regular. Now we can sort of loosely, there's hundreds of different types of fibre, it's not just one thing, and loosely we can kind of group those fibre types into insoluble fibres, which are all, not exclusively, but almost all of those are, are those sort of broom type fibres that sweep through the body. We've got soluble fibres that are mostly fermentable. And then we've got a new sort of um, group of fibres that we call resistant starch. So that would be when you cook and cool things like pasta, rice and potatoes and make it into a salad the next day. You get a lot of that starch that's in the food converted into what we call resistant starch. And it then acts like a fibre. And it's really, really important work from the CSIRO here in Australia is has got a keen interest in this. And they've shown that Australians, although we're not bad with fibre, we're falling short on recommendations, but we're really short on resistant starch. And resistant starch seems to be especially important because it's highly fermentable and it really boosts the growth of the type of bacteria that we want to produce the byproducts of fermentation that we want that helps to keep the, the gut healthy. Now, how does all this relate to brain health? Well, what we know is that that fermentation process, we've got all these different types of fibre. And I should say the, that the collection of all three groups there are really important and even the insoluble fibre because it actually helps to draw the other types of fibre right down through the colon. So we get this fermentation happening right down to the, the end of the colon. And when that happens, the, the little products, there's something called short-chain fatty acids that are produced on fermentation. These actually, A, keep the cells of the colon healthy, but those and, and some other byproducts of this fermentation get absorbed and there's three different mechanisms then they can get to the brain and that's part of this sort of conversation or chatter, if you like, that goes on between the gut and the brain. So we now know that that gut microbiome can influence our brain function. We know it influences our risk of depression, anxiety and, and affects our mood. We know that it can potentially even be affecting our food choices um, and driving us to seek out similar foods that are driving the growth of particular gut bacteria. So it's pretty extraordinary when you think about it that there is this whole link going on between fermentation and digestion going on in the gut and our feelings of fullness, satiety, our satisfaction with food and, and even to the extent of influencing what foods we then crave and seek out. We've talked about carbohydrates and, and whole foods in being healthy. Um, can you explain what foods are rich in protein? How hmm. often we should be eating these foods and how they assist our brain to function? Yeah, there's less evidence, there's less studies that have really looked at the influence of, of protein on brain health, mostly because the studies have been interested in carbohydrates being the major fuel and of course fat because the brain is a fatty tissue. It contains lots and lots of fat. But what we certainly know about protein is that, well, A, in older adults, so if you're listening to this and you're over the age of 60, we know that we process protein less well. And from a cognitive function perspective, we know that older people who are eating more protein tend to have better cognitive function. So that's worthwhile noting. And I think part of that may well come from as we get older, you know, particularly if people end up being widowed or, and you're suddenly on your own, your family have left home, you may be less inclined to cook a proper dinner. And we start seeing that kind of, oh, I'll just have a couple of pieces of toast and a cup of tea. And so we start to see less protein in the diet and that can become a real issue. So my advice there would be to keep your protein intake up. We also know that there's some influence of protein on mood. Um, but interestingly, you know, I often see people saying, oh, have tryptophan, that improves serotonin levels and you feel much better. And tryptophan, of course, is one of the building blocks of protein. It's an amino acid. So people say, oh, we'll eat lots of turkey because that contains tryptophan. Well, the trouble is when you eat protein in its whole form, and most protein from animal sources has tryptophan there, but when it's in a 
flood of a whole load of other amino acids, it doesn't actually improve the uptake of tryptophan into the brain. To do that, you need to eat actually a lower protein meal with carbohydrate. And what that then does is the insulin pushes the other amino acids up into muscle and you get a rise in the ratio of, of tryptophan in the blood and that's what gets more tryptophan into the brain. So although protein is required, these amino acids are required for feeling, for making the feel-good hormones or chemicals in the brain, um, in fact, that may be why we feel pretty good after eating a carbohydrate food and that may be why carbohydrate-rich foods end up being what we crave. So the advice with protein really is, yes, we need it. It's very involved in influencing the brain's capacity to tell you that you're full and to control appetite. So the best advice is to spread your protein intake over across the day. So you get a good source of protein, either from a plant protein source or an animal protein source at each meal. What about healthy fats? Yeah, you know, I'm so glad we have moved on from fat phobia. (laughs) Although we've got some people, I think, who've still got the fat phobia hangover and they're doing carb phobia now too. And they're, they're left saying, what do I eat? So yes, we have embraced good fats and we certainly know for brain health, um, fat is really important. The brain, as I said, is a fatty tissue. It contains a lot of fat and it contains a very high proportion of what we call long chain omega-3 fats. Now, you, you've probably heard of omega-3s because that's what we see as being sold as supplements, particularly in terms of, of brain health as, as well as, as our heart health. Um, and it's important to make the distinction between the long chain omega-3s and the ones that we find in plant food. So we find shorter omega-3 um, fats in things like walnuts and chia and flaxseed. And these are really good fats to include. It's an essential fatty acid that's that's there. So these are great foods to include. But in fact, the brain really needs the long chain ones. And we have a limited capacity, although we can do it to some extent. We can elongate and make the long chain ones from the shorter chain ones. But we've got, it's kind of like a conveyor belt where only so much can be produced. And so it's actually quite important for the functioning of the brain that we get these long chain. And that's maybe why, you know, lots of human or ancestor ancient communities grew up around water where we had a lot more fish, a lot more seafood, a lot more seaweed. And these are all kind of an algae, in fact, which would all be sources of these long chain omega-3s. So you can be vegetarian. And if you are, I would recommend taking a vegetarian source of these long chain omega-3s. But otherwise, I strongly recommend including oily fish and other seafood in your diet at least a couple of times a week. So you'll find lots of recipes to inspire you in the book um, to get that happening. And, And there's certainly some evidence that this can improve our cognitive health. What about olive oil? Yeah. Well, when we look, I mentioned before dietary patterns. When we look at the healthiest dietary patterns around the world, one of the ones that always stands out and has such a vast um, array of evidence behind it is the Mediterranean diet. And very central to the Mediterranean diet is the fact that they use extra virgin olive oil as their main principal fat. So they use it for cooking, they use it on salad dressings, they use it to drizzle over everything, and and they use it quite in abundance. So it's actually a very moderate fat to even high fat diet overall. And so there's something pretty special about extra virgin olive oil. And when we look at people who who consume a lot of extra virgin olive oil and have some of the other aspects of a Mediterranean diet, like lots of veggies, nuts, legumes, and so on, then we find that, in fact, they have much better cognitive health, particularly as they age. And we've got some really good evidence for that. So, yes, I I highly recommend extra virgin olive oil. And and we're fortunate here in Australia. We have some of the best oil in the world here. Um, I support the local industry very much so because you want your oil to be fresh. Um, I've worked with lots of the Australian extra virgin olive oil producers, and, and they 
produce outstanding quality oil, which gives us very high levels of, because it's not just the type of fat, it's actually the antioxidants and the, uh, the other polyphenols and other protective plant compounds that are present in the oil that seem to be very good for our brain, but also very good for heart health, very good for overall body health. In, in cooking, in salads, don't yes. be stingy with it. Don't be stingy with it. And people worry if I eat fat, am I going to gain weight? Well, you know, not if you're following the overall dietary pattern. And, you know, some of the one of the best um, Mediterranean diet studies that came out of Spain showed that even giving 40 mils, that's four tablespoons of olive oil every single day, people didn't gain weight on the study. So, you know, the bottom line is it makes your food tasty. You're going to eat more veggies. It's a very, it's a delicious diet to follow. So it's not hard to make that dietary pattern work for you. What are the key foods emphasized in, in this mm. diet? Which ones are the ones yes. that we should avoid? Well, it's really very simple. If we eat real food, so the book is packed with, you know, the, the foods that stand out. And I give little snippets of what all the research is. So things like lots of green leafy vegetables, um, cruciferous vegetables, that's your broccoli and cauliflower and kale and Brussels sprouts. That's one of my favorite vegetables. I know it divides people, but try my recipe for Brussels sprouts with a, a blue cheese yogurt dressing and you'll never look back. <laughs> um, so lots and lots of veggies. We've got the whole grains, uh, briefly mentioned legumes. We've got things like nuts and seeds. Um, the oily fish are in there. And then a thing we haven't mentioned are fruits. So berries in particular stand out. So there has been some lovely work looking at blueberries, showing that blueberries can improve memory. Um, but it's likely to be down again to these polyphenols. And that's these are the, the plant chemicals that give the gorgeous colour. So all those reds and blues that are, are so um, stand out for the, the berry group seem to be very, very good for the brain. We know that they're very important for the microbiome. So that's potentially a mechanism by which they're, they're improving brain health. So include lots of those kinds of foods in your diet. So you'll see that it's very plant-based. Um, animal foods can be in there. Of course, your brain does need things like iron and zinc. Um, so animal foods are in there. You just have to, to be mindful of eating lots of veggies along with any animal produce that, that you choose to eat. So it's essentially a whole food diet. Um, and it's the sort of diet that is in line with the recent research about the type of diet that's best for our planet as well as for us, as well as being the type of diet that's going to help us to control our weight and to, to reduce our risk of things like other chronic diseases like cancer and heart disease and type 2 diabetes. What to cut out? Well, that's easy too. It's junk food. You know, and it's worth remembering, you know, so often I do media interviews about the latest fad diet and whether this food's a superfood or not. And we and sometimes I feel we lose sight of the big picture, which is as Australians collectively, we're still eating about a third of our kilojoules coming from junk foods. And that includes things like lollies and you know confectionery and ice cream and so these are foods that not just fast food but foods that are really not giving us many nutrients but are giving us any nutrients at all but they're giving us lots of kilojoules in the old days we used to call it empty calories and and that's that's really the essence of our of our problem we've got to cut down those foods and actually some work by one of my colleagues um, who I, I know you've done a podcast with before uh, Felice Jacka uh, Felice's work looking at, at the impact of diet on 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 depression and, and mood disorders you know she showed that even eating junk food, even if you normally eat a, a relatively healthy diet, including junk food too often in your week, has a negative impact um, on your mood and on your brain function. So, you know, that's really important to recognize that we've got to work at cutting down the junk at the same time as filling up our shopping trolleys with the stuff we know to be good for us. Where can our listeners find out more about this topic as well as recipes to support yeah. eating for our brain health? Yeah, well, the book, of course, the book is out now. It came out in December, so it's simply called Brain Food. I, I love 
something that you know says what it does on the tin um, so it's it's filled with some good tips and it's not a heavy read you know my goal was there's lots of very heavy sort of more academic books out there on on brain health and, and links with diet I wanted to produce something that was very consumer friendly that is you know dip in dip out read little sections and got a whole bunch of different recipes so the recipes are fantastic I worked with with the Bauer team who do of course the Australian Women's Weekly cookbooks and so together we've, we've pulled together a really great selection of delicious recipes so you know I think so often people say to me oh but isn't healthy eating so boring not at all give the recipes a shot and I, I promise you you won't look back it's just a, a really great um, I hope inspiring cookbook with nutrition information peppered throughout and also your website yes thank you for mentioning that <laughs> and that's simply Dr Joanna spelled drjoanna.com.au and there you'll see my plate model and of course I have a whole recipe bank on there you can join my Get Lean program that is all about it's not just about weight loss Get Lean is it doesn't have an end point it's not a program as such it's a, it's it's really a kind of premium membership to, to my site where you'll get lots of videos and blog articles and chat from me and new recipes um, uh, information my food library which you can look up individual foods and expand your nutrition knowledge so yes join me online um, and purchase my book would be great Dr Joanna McMillan thank you for joining us on the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast thank you for having me it's a new dawn in health insurance because GMHBA are partnering with AIA Vitality to encourage us to be healthier by rewarding healthy choices. Join GMHBA V Plus with AIA Vitality to earn real rewards for health checks, exercising, even eating well. Changing how you think about health insurance for life. GMHBA and AIA Vitality. Healthier together.